The good news is that this kind of product or development is not a standalone thing. It needs to be integrated in the breakback. So as we in Nuadi Group, we have the backing plate, we have the shim, we have the wear sensor, we have everything. We can redesign of the components to really allocate that and make it efficient. Where other companies which are focused on only one product line or other, they will struggle to, to, to follow us. Welcome to Coffee Break, the official podcast of The Break Report. Here we dive deep into the world of brake technology, bringing you exclusive interviews with industry leaders and insights into the companies shaping our future. Let's get started. Welcome, I'm Brian Hagman, and my guest today is Jose Theordia, CEO of Nuati Group. Thanks for joining me, Jose. Thank you very much to you. Yeah, so, you know, I, I'm excited to, to talk to you about, we got a lot of topics here I want to talk about, but I guess to get started, for those who may not be familiar with New Audi Group, can you share a quick overview of the company, who you are, what you do? Absolutely. Yeah, well, first of all, uh, I'd like to thank the Break Report for this opportunity because basically looking at the quality of the previous guests of uh, Coffee Podcasts, I'm extremely glad to have been invited for this. So I'm, I'm not sure if I deserve it uh, compared to the previous ones, but uh, still, the only thing I can do is thank you. So yeah, Nuadi Group is basically uh, made of two very strong brands dedicated to design, develop, and manufacture brake components for all types of vehicles. So on one hand, Nuari, who has been supplying brake pad, backing plates, and shims to the OE and aftermarket uh, sectors for more than 60 years. On the other hand, Sadeka, who recently joined the group and has over 40 years of experience in designing and manufacturing electrical wear sensors and highway applications for all type of vehicles as well. Well, thanks to the great experience and the outstanding team that that uh, we we have and our relentless work in innovation and product development and continuous improvement, Nuadi Group has become one of the largest and leading uh, companies in components for brakes design and, and manufacturing. And we supply them globally to the most recognized OEMs, tier ones, so brake systems and friction manufacturers all around the globe. So we're around 500 associates worldwide and with our presence in uh, Europe, Africa, uh, China and uh, very recently Mexico where we just opened a plant uh, early this year, we can serve our customers closely in all the regions and at a global level. So we are a very customer-centric organization, always trying to understand our customer needs and learn from them and provide them the best solutions trying to really add value to their businesses. This is this is Nuani. Nuani, great. So before we jump in and talk more about maybe the company in more detail, you know the automotive market really well. And I want to talk about the automotive industry in general. I guess from your perspective, how has the OE and aftermarket landscape, I guess, changed over the last few years? Well, obviously, aftermarket and OE, these are two very different markets, uh, and they have common, but also very specific changes in the last uh, few years. The, the common changes, probably one of the most common for both, is the paradigm transformation from globalization to localization, mainly due to the you know, huge logistics issues and the turmoil right after the pandemic. That brought to light the risks of and the dependence on overseas supply chains. Well, that became a, a real issue. After some time, it's true that those real risks have 
not disappear, but well, probably, you know, eased a little bit. But anyways, companies still are having overseas big supply chains are facing now another very different issue, which is basically the excessive working capital that you need to have to really maintain large inventories to be able to provide the right service to your customers. Together with the current huge interest rates, which are at highest of decades, uh, now it's impacting seriously the financials of companies. So again, you know, Putting liquidity risk is not a good idea for a company. We all know that companies disappear more frequently because of lack of cash flow or liquidity than just profitability. Uh, so put all that together. Now companies are still focused on localizing, probably more than globalizing. Also common, of course, in, in both OE and aftermarket due to the financial situations over the last few years. Uh, there's a lot of consolidations of companies or mergers and acquisitions. And this is changing the shape of the industry in terms of which are the, the key players. So, um, but that affects either aftermarket or OE. Specifically on the OE, probably I would say that uh, these these changes are mainly driven by the new mobility and its impact, which is still unclear if short-term it will be all electric vehicles replacing internal combustion engine vehicles, or it will be a mix between hybrid and pure electric vehicles, or also there will be new technologies like uh, hydrogen uh, fuel cells um, engine vehicles, uh, which some big manufacturers are pushing for that technology as well. So what's going to be the real future? Probably will be a mix of everything. But that means that also the demands for the brakes is going to be different because, uh, you know, there are specific requirements. Uh, and then the only thing that the industry can do is adapt in continuity to that because the brake industry is not necessarily driving this, this, this change, of course. That is principally for the OE, because it's true that the aftermarket, still most of the car park is going to be the traditional internal combustion engine, but it's going to be transforming rapidly. And depends on the region as well, because like, for example, China, they just become the largest car exporter of the globe recently. And uh, it's true that they are ahead of other regions in producing electric vehicles. They're back to the pre-pandemic volumes of car produced production, where in Europe or America were not yet there. And they are in fact, being able to satisfy the new demand of electric vehicles in some regions where the local manufacturers are not yet ready. So, well, this is going to change significantly the OE business. In Europe, on top of that, we know that we are not necessarily the best in some technology developments or the, or the quickest, let's say. We are very good at building regulations and we are very good at creating environmental friendly uh, rules to really improve the life of people. So now there's a lot of focus on the Euro 7 new rules, which are going to affect seriously brakes because uh, so far uh, all the all the focus was on the exhaust, uh, either CO2 production or particles emission. But now it's going to affect also tires and brakes. Brakes are going to be heavily, heavily impacted by this. On the aftermarket segment, uh, probably this will not have an immediate, immediate effect worldwide, maybe yes in Europe. But it's also true that there are other challenges, like, for example, the growth and the development of the distribution channels, which are different by region. Like China still, the average age of cars is very low compared to, or very, very small compared to uh, Europe or America. And then the distribution, there are still different models that not clearly one is, is the final one or the dominating one. Whereas in America is very strong and very mature now after some transformation in the last years. And uh, in Europe is still somewhere in the middle between the strength of the distributor and the brands and the manufacturers. So what's going to happen, uh, you know, is going to be different difficult to say, but this transformation is started in Europe and started in China, and uh, we need to see what, where it will go. Yeah, no, for sure. 
so a lot of changes, a lot of insights there. What so with all that being said, what do, what do you see are, are I guess maybe some of the main challenges or opportunities for you guys? Well, you mean for Noadi? Yeah. Uh, well, sure. I think that you know we, we we are very strong in the aftermarket business. So traditionally, Nuadi, both the Sadeka and the Nuadi brands were stronger in the aftermarket because we are relatively new in the OEM business. But in the aftermarket business, uh, you know, our product lines are not going to have an immediate impact on that. It's going to be slowly happening. But considering that our main strengths are, are you know, being first to market, be having the widest range and, and always providing the best service to our customers. And this is why we're also now more and more global. At the end of the day, we are continuously adapting to, to the market evolution and to the customer needs. So we continuously listen to them. We continuously follow what they need. And we proactively propose ideas to adapt to the new needs. And in fact, I think the biggest challenge is going to be to foresee the changes coming to continue being proactive more than just being reactive like some of our competitors. Uh, at the same time, you know, this is our largest opportunity. So it's a challenge, but also an opportunity because if we can do that, we can always perform better than our competitors and then become the real partners and be an essential part of our customers, let's say, daily business. So our, our best opportunity is with all the things happening and changes coming to continuously give our customers peace of mind and, and then making them sure that they can focus on their own products and their own problems and having a partner that really they can trust. In the OEM side, this is slightly different because we are relatively new. You know, we have started in the market in parallel both Sadeka and, and Noadi in different products, but relatively new. And we are already proving to those customers that they, they trust us that, well, our main opportunity now is to continue gaining business because we are proving the product, we are proving the service, we are proving the interaction in engineering, proposing improvements, efficiency improvements, product improvements, and uh, and this is paying dividends because we're gaining more and more business. So um, this is the real opportunity. Uh, challenges, I don't think we have real challenges in the OECD. The most challenging thing is probably those customers that they di- they still don't know us or still don't work with us to convince them of the beauty of working with Nuari. But long term, I think that uh, we have more opportunities than any other thing in the OECD, definitely. So I want to talk about more about Nuari and product services that you all offer. So the first thing is backing plates. You know, fine blanking versus conventional stamped backing plates. So I know there's a difference. Don't know what they are. If you were to hold up a few different, you know, backing plates to me and said, hey, pick out which one was fine plate, I personally wouldn't have a clue. So please explain to me, I guess, the the differences between the two, fine blanking and conventional stamp. Okay. Well, bo- both are, you can call them stamping or blanking technologies. At the end of the day, both are taking a piece of a steel and getting a part out of a tool. But the main difference is the motion of the presses that are utilized for different technologies. So for a stamping press motion, it's relatively simpler as it produces, let's say, one specific motion from the top to the bottom. And then you have to obviously design the tool for that to make it very, very simple. Okay. So for fine blanking, it's it's quite different because, in fact, a fine blanking press provides three different motions. So there's a stinger motion, which brings the, the stinger plate up and holds the material in place during blanking. And then there's a blanking motion, which is providing the blanking force to push the part into the die cavity. So the die cavity is the one to achieve the desired final shape of the, of the part. And then there is a counter pressure motion holding the part against the blank punch during blanking and finally ejecting the part when the blanking is complete. So 
Obviously, the, blanking the five blanking equipment is much more complex. That means also that it requires much more capital investment. But also tooling is relatively more expensive due to its complexity compared to conventional stamping. Let's call it that. So the other main difference is production output. Because of the conventional stamping presses are simpler, they typically go much quicker. So the output is simpler due to a simpler kinematics of the press. In fact, none of them is better or worse per se. So it only depends on the usage. Okay. So the interesting thing is that for many applications, the shaving that you need on the profile of the part is critical. Let me give you an example. There are some parts of the seat of your car, which are, let's say, holding the different parts of your seat, like the backside or the, or, you know, and, and when you move and, and set the, the, the seat of your car, they need to stay in place. And that's important that they are absolutely, you know, adapted to the shape of other components. So for these kind of parts, having a total blanking around the part is important. Is very important. The, the nice thing is that for backing plate, the areas of the backing plate that really interact with the caliper are basically less than 20% of the profile of the part. So having a, a perfect shaving all around the part is not really necessary, but it's critical in those areas that interact with the caliper. That's important, but the key for a backing plate, in fact, is not that much the shaving, but it's the flatness. Flatness is absolutely critical. And why is flatness so critical? Uh, flatness is critical for MVH, which is, you know, in this world, MVH is, is the key. So obviously we all know that a, a, a proper modern brake, uh, the performance is there. That's never going to be a challenge. Um, you know, the, the, the technology of braking has been improved so much that the performance itself is never put in question. But MBH is becoming more and more critical, more and more even with electric vehicle cars, because at the end of the day, those cars, they don't have an engine. You cannot listen to anything except in whatever is rolling and the wind. So any single noise is going to be even more important to ensure the comfort of the driver. So the backing plate, in fact, is interacting with many different parts. It's interacting with the friction. It's interacting with the calipers, interacting with the piston or the fingers. So uh, all those areas are interacting, except in the shape areas that you need for the piston are critical precisely because a lack of flatness will influence on all these interactions and will create noise and vibration. The nice thing is that a lot of people, and historically it's been like this, think that fine blanking is the best technology for backing plates, where in fact it's very simple that a fine blank process is creating more stress due to the proper motion of the press itself and the tooling on a part that conventional stamping. So having said that, let's face this. In, in stamping technologies, like any other technology, there's no shortcuts. So the best tool produces the best parts. And a bad tool can produce one good part but not necessarily all of them. So variation is critical. A nice thing on, on this business is that most people do all the testing on one backing plate, then one brake pad, then one caliper. And obviously you need to do all the testing on that. But then if you don't rely in a good tooling, a good tooling could be fine blanking or could be stamping, doesn't matter. If you rely on a good tooling, that part will represent the production lot. If it's a bad tool, and typically chips tools are not necessarily good, well, the part that you are testing, and you might validate MPH or whatever, is good. But what is going to happen later on? And the nice thing is that you could even have one flat part for the testing, but then if the tool is not consistent, there's going to be a lot of variation, 
Is that representing the reality of your product afterwards? Maybe not. So the key thing here is that, again, on the MVH, let's imagine that we have a good tool, no matter what technology. The main thing is that a part, different to the example that I said on the seat, a backing plate is not just how flat it is out of the tool, which still could be very flat. The key thing is that this plate is going to suffer a lot of additional processes while producing a brake pipe. So there's many. Shot blasting. First of all, the backing plate is shot blasted to ensure a proper adhesion of the friction and the painting and everything. But that uh, means that the surface is changed mechanically, going over the yield of the steel and then potentially modifying its metallic structure. Then you have a second step, which is pressing. So when the friction is pressed, the press is pushing on the friction and it's not the mold that is holding the pressure, it's the backing plate that is in the middle. And there's a lot of stress, stress there as well. Then you have heating or curing, because it depends on the technology, there's going to be either longer or, or shorter, but there's going to be a heating process to cure the friction, which needs to be you know, strong at the end of the day. Uh, but that adds temperature, and that can affect also the metallic structure of the backing plate and release some of the stresses if they were created before, transforming or modifying the flanges. Then you have painting, not big deal because it's only just paint and slightly heated, okay? But in some cases also you have a scorching where temperature reaches over 600 degrees, which is the temperature that the metallic structure changes. Maybe not time enough to really have a proper change of the structure, but enough to release some of the stresses. So all these processes are going to affect the backing plate, especially if it had stress before getting into the process. So a conventional stamping, if the tool is properly designed to balance the stress that is created on the steel of the street, can be significantly less or stress less compared to a traditional fine blanking. Why? Because traditional fine blanking, again, I explained you the three motions, those are creating efforts of the steel. And those, at the end of the day, sometime will be released. So we've proven to some customers that at the end of the day, one thing is what you receive as a back-in-place flatness, a totally different thing is at the end of your process. And variation is what happens. And, and let's face this, I'm an engineer. And honestly, engineers, if there's something we hate, is variation. It's our work print, believe me for any process, for anything that you want. So you put all that together, and then after already gaining more than 40, 40 OE programs and probably award more than 100 million back in plates, we are proving that this is a fact and that a conventional stamping with a properly designed tool, again, a properly designed tool, which really balances the stress on the path, can be the best solution for this problem. So tell me about New Audi then. So what's what's New Audi's process and how do you how do you do that? How do you, I guess, solve that problem of the variation? How are you all doing it? Well, again, it, it's mainly on the tooling design. So when we okay. receive a new part for any customer, we'll look at all the features that are needed to be created. And the kit, you know, a backing plate can have lags, can have a chamfer, can have, uh, you know, some areas are bended. So it depends on the shape and the design. The key is how you design the tool so that the, all the steps are at the end of the day balancing the effort so that the steel has only the minimal stress created so that it's released with the minimal or, or as much as possible stress-free so that later on processing pan manufacturing are not affecting flatness. And this is the key. And again, there's very tool chips out there 
uh, sorry, cheap tools, uh, any kind, that will bring variation by themselves. But on top of that, even a good tool, depending on the, on the technology, it can also bring variation. And again, flatness, flatness, flatness is the big obsession for MBH for any brake system designer and manufacturer. Very good. So finally, on record, I finally learned exactly the differences between fine blanking and conventional stamping. Excellent. I like it. So learned learned a lot today so far. So so moving on. So we talked. We touched on environmental, eco friendly aspect of the business within the automotive industry. What's your take, or what are your thoughts on, I guess, EU seven mission standards? And I guess is it affecting how you all are developing new products moving forward? Well, first of all, a general statement on Euro seven is very difficult to have an opinion yet because there's still a lot to be decided and described and defined. Everybody in the industry is struggling a little bit because there is a rule, yes, and the rule makes sense. So the rule is focused on eliminating or reducing a maximum emission of particles out of a vehicle. And specifically, particles are called PM10, PM2.5. So the diameter of them is 10 microns or less or two and a half microns or less. And why those? Because those are the ones that can be inhalated when you are in your lungs, when you are breathing. So for human being, you know, they are harmful, really harmful, and reducing that is going to be good, for sure, especially on places where driving is concentrated, like large cities, that is contributing heavily to pollution. It's true. On the other hand, it's also true that most of the focus so far was on the exhaust of cars, which obviously we know that they, they are, there are particles emission. But it's also true that the industry has already developed a lot of solutions for that. So probably one of the reasons that the EU7 or EU7 was delayed from 2025 to 2027, but for, for, light, for light vehicles, for, for heavy duty vehicles, I think it's 2029, is that those solutions for exhaust are in place, but they are not inexpensive yet. So they need to be improved and probably, you know, industrialized in manners that it can be more affordable. So for a, let's say for a $60,000 car, those solutions are already in place. They are already, let's say, filters and, 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 and some equipment that can reduce or almost eliminate the emission of particles. For a $15,000 cars, the percentage impact on the cost of the car would be too high, so they are still not implemented. So they are probably delaying that so the manufacturers have time to adapt that to the reality. But now the problem comes that the new Euro 7 is not only saying exhaust particles, it's saying brakes particles and tire particles. And obviously tires, is very easy to understand that tire wear and particles are spread around the driving areas. Okay, so, uh, you know, anyone who has attended a, a motor racing event, uh, probably you have seen thousands of rubber marbles around the, the racing line after the race. Those are typically large, they're big marbles. But you can imagine that obviously a racing tire is much softer uh, than a, a road tire. But still those particles, you know, they, they, they are around because obviously your, your, your tire is wearing that and, and it reduces size. The main difference is that most of the particles that come out of a tire are larger than PM10. So they are not necessarily good for environment, but they are not that harmful for, for people breathing, let's say. Different to brakes, where the particles are emitted from brakes, both the pad and the rotor, are PM10 or even PM2.5, which is really, really bad. In fact, there are some studies already saying that more than a third of the total particles PM10 or PM2.5 coming out of, a, of an internal combustion engine car are coming from the brakes. In an electric vehicle, it's even more than that, of course, because the exhaust is not 
existing, so it's not emitting anything. It, it is affecting us. So far, it's difficult to say how it is affecting nobody because so far, still is a lot to decide and still is a lot to understand how customers are adapting to this. So there's, there's a lot of things happening, but still a lot of things to understand and to, let's say, put in place. So even measurement is still not clear. Even the control is still not clear. For exhaust, it's very clear. Cars you know, they have measurements, they need to go through tests. Still, those tests are not defined for brakes of th- or tires. So still difficult to understand what is going to be the impact. Gotcha. What about like from the EV and plug in, the, I guess, the hybrid side of things? You know, is there's the, you know, ob- obviously a large global push for electric vehicles. Is that, is that, are you all having to adapt your products or services to remain competitive with this? I mean, I know in general, EVs are still a small percentage relative, but it's, you know, it, it's moving in the, the larger direction. So is that affecting you all at all? Uh, yeah, it is definitely affecting. And, and for some extent, it's, it's, it's helping us, let's say. Because as I said, our, our ability to, to uh, produce a very flat backing plate, for example, is helping us to really been the choice of some electric vehicle projects already. So uh, in the last couple of years, more than half of the projects that we gained were electric vehicle, either in Europe or in Asia. That is key part because, again, the focus on MBH is huge. But there's also some of the small differences. Electric vehicle work, uh, the brakes work slightly different. They never reach the same temperature as internal combustion engine because of some regenerative braking of the of the um, electric motor. So it's very difficult for the brake to reach the same temperature. That affects, uh, on a part that at the end of the day is outside because it's, it's exterior, the more sure that you can have on a rainy day or depending on the hot day on the humidity um, it takes longer to disappear so there's a, a much higher risk of rust for the for the metallic parts and obviously backing plate is metallic so there's more and more uh, new OE programs that are much better rust protected. And uh, that's something that we have been developing for the years. We have very good partners for that, and we can adapt to that very easily. And that also creates a little bit of variation, because the variation that you get out of a tool is probably less of the variation that you can get out of a zinc plating, just a coating process. It's incredible how much the variation can be in certain areas. Discussing and understanding what's going to be the whole process variation is critical. Uh, and uh, that that is a bad part. On the other part, um, on the electric work sensors part, it's true that electric vehicle with this risk of rust has a larger risk of delamination. So it's true that more and more backing plates, for example, are having more demand of uh, re- mechanical retention systems, w- which we can provide and we are providing. But it's also true that delamination is something that you need to detect. And uh, the traditional wear sensor, mechanical wear sensor, which was just a piece of metal hitting your rotor, is not necessarily the best solution. So more and more vehicles are introducing the electric wear sensor, which is fine for us, obviously, because A, that's part of our technology. B, we are working together with the OEMs on further develop this, not only the current, you know, one stage thing, but further than that. So it's giving us good opportunities in fact, yeah. Yeah, that's great. No, so so getting back to the, the rust and corrosion aspect, what makes your product different? What, what, what prevents it from rusting? Well, first of all, you need to understand that uh, the first thing that you need to do is uh, using the proper steel. So typically in Europe and America, it's been traditionally uh, very common to use uh, pickle and oil steel. Uh, this is not a secret that it's not an exclusivity of, of Nuari, of course. But in China, for example, there's still a lot of producers, especially the system uh, designers, that they don't really pay attention uh, on the backing plate. So they leave the decision to the friction guys. Uh, and let's say the friction companies are very good at their K 
chemical products and their processes, not necessarily they are that knowledgeable about the steel. And in some cases, to have a, an affordable or let's say cheap part, they are happy to buy black steel, so not pickle and oil steel, which is mm-hmm. surprising for me, honestly. I mean, this is my third stamping company in my life. And when I when I discovered this for the first time, I said, are we crazy or what? So mm-hmm. we are using a part that is literally still having rust on its surface because pickle and oil is the only, mecha- the only real chemical process that can eliminate all the scale coming from the steel mills. And this is natural. Steel mills are producing something at 1500 degrees and then they need to cool it. And it's a lot of water added in the process, thousands of liters of water added to cool up that rapidly and and, and give the proper structure and and mechanical properties of the steel. But that creates, obviously, rust oxidation, which is called scale. So, you know, you can eliminate part of the scale with some mechanical methods, but you don't eliminate all. So the fact is that some people are still using black steel back in place, which means that you still have pieces of the surface that they have rust. So you put the friction on it, and obviously this is a point that is literally not going to bond to the steel. So it's a, it's a natural start of the delamination in the future. So obviously yeah. we don't use that kind of a steel, basically because we understand the impact. Uh, second, we work together with our partners on coating, especially on zinc-plated coating or zinc-nickel because it's the best protection. So especially the European uh, requirements are very tough and uh, the OEMs are very tough. So today it's very common to have uh, the traditional salt press test, you know, more than 700 hours before rust appears, which is critical. So we'll put that together and then again in some extreme cases uh, with the heavy vehicles especially now electric vehicles with double motor are becoming large and very heavy those the duty on the brakes are tough so they are requesting mechanical retention we are ready for all this and we can provide all that solution immediately to our customers so this is the way we have let's talk about new new products new technology is there anything around the corner that you guys are going to introduce at some point uh, that you can talk about uh, well I can give you some highlights but yeah definitely yes yeah. so we're working on, on two very exciting projects. On one side, looking at the Euro 7, as, as we were mentioning before, we're working on a very simple solution to collect particles from the brakes at the wheel. And uh, we, we just filed the patent recently. So unfortunately, I cannot share you all the, all the, the thing, but uh, very soon you will know. And, and believe me, once I can share, uh, the brake report will be the first to know. But yeah, this has been filed. And the interesting thing is that's a very simple, simple solution that could be used for either new vehicles, but also existing vehicles. So we're mm-hmm. going to give the opportunity to those drivers that they want to be environmental friendly and they have already a, a car, not to necessarily have to make big modifications or whatever or change the brakes. That's one. On the other hand, we also just file another another patent for a progressive wear detec- detection sensor. So uh, as we said before, there could be the lamination, there could be other stuff. So modern, modern cars more and more need to have more information. So we have developed and patented uh, a, a wear sensor in our Sadeca brand that can give continuous wear detection uh, that can be shown in the different manners that OEM decides. But we are going even a step harder because in the future, when autonomous driving reaches level five, there's going to be necessarily one wear sensor, electric wear or electronic wear sensor detector per pack. Why? Because obviously you cannot leave a car that has no filling 
without detection of a potential failure on a brake pad. And we are already working on the next pattern, which is going to give all kind of information around the brake pad to the car software. And the car software is going to be connected somewhere because the mobility is going to work like this. And uh, that is going to be enough to really provide the best and safer brake to the user that is inside the car without steering wheel or whatever. So we already shared that with a couple of key OEMs in the world, and they are immensely interested because of the development that we already showed them. So we are already producing some prototypes and working with a couple of partners because this is too large for only us. There's a lot of technology behind and, and this is going to be really, really exciting. Really exciting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so with this development of the sensor with collecting data, you know, obviously in, in today where the car is more and more software is in the car and collecting data. Do you see this being able to be integrated with any software system? Is it just a sensor that, that connects to any of the OEM's software applications? This is one of the good news of being an OE and aftermarket company. So for the OEMs, obviously, this will be something that will be connected to their software. In the future, probably, I don't know if it's going to be dominated by Ford, General Motors or Google, Amazon, who will drive our cars. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Probably, but that mm-hmm. time we retire, but okay. But we're also thinking of how to apply these to existing cars so that, uh, that there's uh, ideas to have that even if your current car does, is not that modern and even don't have a software because it's a, a, a late 90s car, which is still driving and can drive you home and, and your kids or whatever, we are looking at how to have, because we all have a lot of electronics on top of us, not necessarily at the car, uh, to have connection to an app so that you can have all the information needed. You can have alarms in your cell phone or or other, applica- or other electronic devices. So we're working on all the scenarios, both for OE and aftermarket. And that would mm-hmm. prevent also from uh, breaking problems or breaking issues. Definitely, yes. The good news is that this kind of product or development is not a standalone thing. It needs to be integrated in the brake pad. So as we in Nuari Group, we have the backing plate, we have the shim, we have the wear sensor, we have everything. We can redesign of the components to really allocate that and make it efficient. Where other companies, which are focused on only one product line or other, they will struggle to, to, to follow us. So before we wrap up, where do you see Nuari in five to 10 years as, as an organization? Let's talk five years. 10 years is too long. Especially if you look back the last five years, talking the next yeah. 10 years will be crazy. But I think there's no magic rule for where where I see myself or where I see the company in the next five years because basically we're going to continue listening to our customers. We're going to continue observing the technology development. We're going to continue observing the trends on the market and we are going to definitely continue being as proactive as possible in providing the best solutions to our customers to help them on their business and give them the you know the best technology at the best balance between cost and, and, and uh, total cost of ownership. So uh, th- there's no big big fix here. We're not a OEM or a, a, a tier one. We need to be doing that. But we can do that in the most clever manner and being the most proactive uh, possible. That will be the best way. If we do that, we will continuously be ahead of our competitors and then adapting to whatever comes and then face any challenges that come and bring in all the opportunities that are in front of us, definitely. Well, Jose, it has been a pleasure. I've learned a lot. I've enjoyed our conversation and I can't wait to do it again sometime. Thank you very much indeed. I would just like to say thanks to you. Thanks to the Break Report for this opportunity. And again, thanks to all our customers, because otherwise we wouldn't be here. Thanks to all our partners, because they also help us in our daily staff. And to those customers that still don't know us, they, they are taking too long to try. This is Brian Hagman, host of Coffee Break. I want to give a big thank you to today's guest and to all of you for tuning in. Until next time, let's keep breaking stuff.